Good morning. I love this church. I love being here. I laugh when James says that because there's literally nowhere else that I'd rather be. And I'm excited about the river and what our heartbeat is for. And I feel like the last few times that I've preached, I've said this, but I'm excited about where we're going and our staff and our team and what we're praying for. And we just have this longing for spiritual renewal in ourselves and in our community. And so it couldn't be more appropriate that we are in the second week in a series on the book of Acts, because what is the book of Acts all about? It's God continuing his mission through his people, the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're experiencing that in the South Bay, aren't we? God continuing his mission. And so if the book of Acts is on the Holy Spirit leading the church, it's the movement of the church with the Holy Spirit in the lead, then I think where we're going today, I'm not gonna keep any secrets from you, is that the work begins in us. The transformation begins in us because he, God uses us for his work, to continue his work. And so if that's true, I wanna take a moment to begin our service and just stop and ask, where are we? What is on your mind and your heart this morning? And I gotta be honest with you, Last week, Taylor opened the service with a moment of prayer. And I'm nine months pregnant. <laughs> I actually had a contraction before this started. Don't worry, we're, we're good. <laughs> but I'm, last week was like 90 degrees down here. Who was here last week? It was hot. I was hot. My kids were hungry. If you saw Clara, she was like snuck up to the communion table in her bikini. It was, we were all over the place. So hot, sandy, and Taylor's like, let's slow down and pray. And I'm like, looking at my watch, it was the beginning of the service. Anyway, so all I wanna say, I share that because sometimes I think we think that prayer is like having to be in this perfect space, mental space to go to the Lord. And it's so not. It's like, hey Lord, okay, I'm hot, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm frustrated, here I am. I acknowledge your presence. So we're gonna just begin this moment, begin this service, begin this sermon with a moment of what I call examine. Sometimes examine feels less scary than prayer because we're just acknowledging, where are we? So would you, if you wanna just look at the waves, if you wanna close your eyes, just breathe with me. Lord, we acknowledge your presence here with us. Thank you. We take a moment now to think about where we are emotionally, what it was like getting here. Were we calm, rushed? Even from the moment we woke up in our house or apartment, were we alone? Was it chaotic? What did we think about? What did we listen to? What did we talk about? We just take a moment to think about how that made us feel. To just even become aware of what's going on in our, in our mind, in our body, in our heart. In your presence. Lord, I thank you for your grace and I pray that as we move forward in our day, 
you would give us eyes to see where and how you're moving because we know that your spirit is with us even if we don't feel it even if it was one of those mornings we know that you're with us so we simply reset shift our perspective so that we can become aware of you aware of you in the midst of all of the things that are going to happen in our day and i know that the longing of so many of us is that we want to love you well and we want to love each other well and so much gets in the way of that doesn't it even just being hungry it's hard to love other people when you're really hungry but we want to keep our eyes fixed on that on loving you on seeing where you're present on depending on your strength we give this time to you we give this morning to you. We love you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2? I am so <laughs> excited because I get the good part this morning. Like I said, our series is about God moving through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're seeing that here in the South Bay. But here's the thing. You cannot accomplish the mission of God without the Spirit of God, right? You cannot accomplish the mission of God without the Spirit of God, and today I get to cover the part where the Spirit of God comes. Woo! So Acts chapter 2, let's just start reading together. Verse 1, it begins with this. When the day of Pentecost had come, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is the 50th day of a celebration, a feast for God's people, for the Israelites, okay? So they're all together they're on the 50th day of this celebration. That's Pentecost. And they're all together in one place. And verse 2, suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they're sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves. And a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. So first, imagine this moment. Here's what's happening. They hear the sound, okay? They hear the sound audibly, and the sound, the wind, immediately takes me back to Ezekiel because the Spirit of God was in the wind, right? So it's already like, oh, this is kind of familiar, the Spirit of God the Spirit of God, the wind, okay? They hear the sound, and then all of a sudden they see the fire. And if you've read the Old Testament, you know fire is the presence of God, right? But here's what's significant about this moment, is that the fire is not coming corporately to lead all of Israel like God did through the Exodus. The fire is being distributed among them, above them, right? It's like how much more clearly could God display visually exactly what he is doing in giving his presence to individuals than to actually divide up what is known as his presence and, and place it visually. So they're seeing the fire. Do you get what I'm saying? They're seeing it. They're hearing it. They're seeing it. And then they begin to speak out in these different languages and these different tongues that are not their own. And I love this part of the miracle of the Pentecost story because 
it's this external evidence of something that God has done internally in them, right? And how often do we, do we feel like God is stirring up something in our heart, is changing something in us, but it takes a while to see the outward evidence of it, right? It takes a while to see the fruit. In this moment, it's immediate. They are receiving the Holy Spirit, they're hearing the sound, they're seeing the fire, and then they're displaying outwardly the evidence of what God is doing internally. And it's a beautiful, powerful moment. And what are they talking about? What comes out of their mouth? What are they speaking about in these different languages? Verse 11, it says, they begin speaking in their own tongues of the mighty deeds of God. It's like the Holy Spirit is showing them exactly what he gave them the gift for, right? I want to give you this gift so that you can begin to testify about my power and about my goodness. So here it is. And they begin to testify and speak out. And then Peter follows and does the exact same thing. But you all know this passage. I'm sure you, many of you have heard it before. Sometimes we laugh at it, but I think there's something to, to find that's significant in here. Peter gives this disclaimer before he himself begins to um, testify to the mighty deeds of God. Peter gives this disclaimer and he says, I just want to make sure everybody knows nobody's drunk here. And why, why does Peter say this? Why is Peter like, because they, what do drunk, I mean, think about this with me for a second. We've all seen drunk people. Maybe we've been drunk people. What do drunk people do? They're they're like making a fool of themselves. They're totally like lacking in inhibition, completely free, and they're just going wild. And so they're sharing their testimony, the mighty deeds of God, and it is so uninhibited that Peter is like, just want to clarify, nobody's drunk. And this is important because, and we're going to circle back to this, what the Holy Spirit is bringing is such an overwhelming sense of freedom that it looks insane. That when the spirit comes, it brings freedom. Have you thought about that? Immediately. There's the outward evidence and there's the freedom that's just overflowing. And so then Peter begins to speak and Bill's going to get into this more next week, but I just want to give a tiny little snippet here. Um, verse 22, skip ahead a little bit. This is what Peter begins to say. This is just powerful. We can't miss this. I mean, we, we should just read this every sermon. It's so good. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you know, meaning like you, you've seen it. This man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross and put him to death. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Skip ahead to verse 32. It is this Jesus whom God raised up, a fact to which we all are witnesses. And imagine Peter just in this moment going for it wildly free as he proclaims this testimony. Therefore, since he has been exalted at the right hand of God and has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out this which you both see in the fire, hear 
in the sound. Verse 36, therefore, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Amen. What is happening here is that this religious group of men celebrating Pentecost show up together, if you've just zoned out for the last couple minutes, they hear the wind, they hear the sound, they see the fire, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit individually in their bodies. There's external evidence of it as they begin to speak in tongues, proclaiming the mighty deeds of God, and then Peter just goes for it. And he's like, this is what God did. This is what God did in Jesus. Can you believe it? It's real. <laughs> this is crazy. We're celebrating it. We're experiencing it. What Jesus said would happen is happening. And they're having this wildly powerful moment where they're sharing testimony. And, and they're speaking the truth of the gospel. And you know what's really neat is that throughout the book of Acts, and please pay attention to this as we continue through the series, because this is only the second week and you're going to see this. The filling of the Holy Spirit is always tied to the proclamation of the gospel. That's what happens when people are filled and overcome with the Holy Spirit. They just begin to testify to the power of God. They can't help it. They're just going for it. They're just overwhelmed by it. Because sometimes, you know, I think we think that the Holy Spirit power is just like the sign and the miracle. But what is a sign? Like, think about the word sign. A sign points to something else, right? It was never just about the, the power, the miracle, the sign, the wonder. It was always meant to point to something greater. It was always meant to lead people to God. And so that's why the proclamation of the gospel is so significant. Because when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and then they begin to give glory to God. And I think we have to ask the question, what, what is the power for? Like, why did the Holy Spirit come? What's the point of all of this? Is it so that they could live forever? Well, obviously that didn't happen or prolong their lives. We know the story about what happened to a lot of the people who proclaimed the gospel. It didn't end well for them on earth. Is it so that they could become well-known and famous and honored in the world? No. So think about this in the context of our life when we think about the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit then? Why did God give the Holy Spirit to, to continue his mission? What was the mission of God? What, what, what is the heart of Jesus? I bet almost everybody on this beach at some point in their life has heard the verse, and it's famous for a good reason, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the mission of God. That's the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what the power is for. Is this making sense? So that people might understand that. So that people might hear it, right? And believe it. And so what does this mean for us? Well, good news. 
I'll tell you, this is the implication for me. When I hear this truth, that that's what the power of the Holy Spirit is for in our lives, it gives me an overwhelming sense of exactly what they experienced at Pentecost and it's freedom. Because if it's not about how I look and how my life looks and how my kids' lives look, and, and my life is not meant to be this thing that I create and, and I have to accomplish these certain things, but instead I am a vessel for God to use, I am completely free. If my life is just meant to be an offering so that I can say, God, I want to experience your power. I want you to use your power for your glory, for your work and not my work, then my life is free. Then I don't, I can let go of all these other things. Then I can begin to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. Right? Does that make sense? But sometimes I think we have a picture in our head of what we think the Holy Spirit and his power is supposed to look like. I'm going to give you a quick story about this. Um, about a year and a half ago, uh, I got a text from a dear friend of mine. Many of you know Jordan Jennings. Uh, she's now Jordan Summers, and she has been a part of our river community for a number of years. And we love her dearly. Uh, she got married, and she and her husband moved to the Nashville area. And I got a text from Jordan, and she said, um, it was May 3rd, 2021. She said, Brooke, I need you to pray. They were two weeks away from delivering their first child, a son. And she said, we went to the doctor for our weekly appointment. Man, this resonates with me because I'm like there, right? She said, we went to the doctor for our weekly appointment, and there was no heartbeat. Something went wrong. Something happened. They don't know, but they are admitting me to the hospital to deliver this baby. And as a church, man, we rallied. This group of people put together within moments, you know, like a schedule so that Jordan and her family and her baby were prayed over every single hour of the day every single minute of the day. And I just remember George and I getting on our face and asking like, what, what is going on? How could this happen? What are you doing? Like what, what is the, how, how do we even enter into this? Like just such a helpless feeling, you know? And as George and I began to pray fervently, I don't know if I've ever prayed like this before the Lord put it on our hearts to pray for resurrection life for this baby. So we just began to ask, Lord, I know that the doctor said that the baby didn't make it, but by the time she delivers this boy, can you put breath back in his lungs and a heartbeat back in his chest and give him life? Like, can you do a miracle? And I remember driving August to swimming lessons at Lori's house and just weeping and praying out loud and saying, God, you can do this. And August is asking me, like, what happened to baby Ford, mom? And we said, well, baby Ford died. What, what are you praying for? 
well, honey, we're praying that God would bring baby Ford back to life. Well, how does that work? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how that works. But all I know is that when Jesus was on earth, he raised people back from the dead. And the Bible says that I have the same power in me because of the Holy Spirit that he had. And so I can ask for something crazy like this. And we believed it was going to happen, and we just continued to pray. And that day we got home from swim, and we sat down at our kitchen table. I remember George is working from home this day, and August and Clara are both, you know, at the table. Clara's, like, in her high chair, and August is, t- is only two and a half. And um, he begins to ask more questions, like, what, is it, what does this all mean? And how do you believe that God can do a miracle like this? And I want to have, he said, I want to have the Holy Spirit power in me. I want to ask for, for life for baby Ford too. I don't want this baby to die. And we said, well, honey, you can pray too. You can ask God for that too. And he said, well, how do you have the power? And I said, I gave my life to Jesus. I decided that I want to live for him and for his glory. I want to be used by him. What I just described to all of you, but trying to explain it to a two-year-old. I want my life to be used by him and I want to experience his power through me so that he could receive glory. And there in that moment, August said, well, I want my life to be used by God too. And so we prayed with my two-year-old at the lunch table over chicken nuggets and he gave his life to Jesus. And I thought, he has no idea what he's doing. He's two, but yet there's an openness and a longing and a desire. And only, that is only from the Holy Spirit, Right. Because we pray for that a lot for people, and it doesn't happen. And 5.05 p.m., May 4th, I get the text from Jordan. Our Ford was born. He wasn't alive. The Lord didn't, you know, put breath in his lungs. We got to spend some time with him. Here's a photo. And I just remember putting August to bed and weeping. Like, what? And I called my friend who was praying with me, who didn't even know Jordan. And I said, I don't understand why God says we have the power of the Holy Spirit and why God didn't do this miracle because we prayed. We all prayed. We asked God for this. Why wouldn't he do it? If this is real, why aren't we experiencing the power in our lives? Because I want to stand on it and I want to believe it's true, but I'm not seeing it happen. And that's frustrating. And I wept with this friend of mine and she said, I'm like, this is the perfect moment for the Holy Spirit to show up because everybody was watching and believing and trusting. Imagine what that would have done for our faith. Like, Where was the power of the Holy Spirit? And she said, Brooke, I'm broken too. I really believed God was going to do this miracle. We both did. But I don't want you to miss where the Holy Spirit did move. Because you did see resurrection life. You did not see it in this baby. You saw it in your own son. You saw it when the Holy Spirit came upon your own son and brought him into life. And that is significant too. And that's not what you asked for. And it doesn't make it better what happened. We obviously wanted to see life in Ford's body. But don't miss it. And sometimes I think that we have this idea of what the Holy Spirit moving looks like. We think that it is going to be this powerful, 
resurrection healing moment and we're asking like, where's the Holy Spirit? If this is real, where are the miracles? Why am I not seeing them? And here's the truth. If you have received Jesus and given your life to Jesus, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you already. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. <laughs> I mean, that's wild. And I think our problem is not that we need more of the Holy Spirit. It's that we need to give the Holy Spirit more of us. That we need to be more surrendered with our lives in order that we can be a part of his work. Not our work. Because he is still moving and we do not understand how the pieces fit together. And we probably won't understand how a lot of them fit together on this side of heaven, right? But he is still at work and we are meant to be used by him. And so I, I think it's so powerful that this experience in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, whoa, the revival that is happening here that we are going to begin to unfold as we continue this series is not all these random people showing up and receiving Christ for the very first time that they hear about God. The revival at Pentecost is God's people who are already there being transformed first, right? It's the people of God who are already present, who are experiencing a radical heart transformation in their own lives. And so I say, church, look around at each other. What if the greatest work that the Holy Spirit wants to do here today, right now, is in you, actually? It's in us. It's in our people. It's in this body. It's in who is sitting right here and here and here and here and here on the beach. What if that, what if we begin to believe what God said is true about us? To stand on the promises that he has for us by faith. To be used by him for his work and not our work. For his plan and not our plan. What if we surrendered our lives in order that we might be led by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, experiencing his power and then speaking about the mighty deeds of God, sharing testimony of what he's doing in our life. What if that's where all the power is? So this morning, I want to invite up a dear friend of mine, a best friend of mine. As I was thinking about this, who is doing this? Who is living this out? Like, who can I actually point to who I see, like, the daily surrender, the letting go, the giving over, the trusting in the, the Holy Spirit's power to provide for them in their daily life, who can speak of the mighty deeds of God and the testimony? The very first person that came to my mind is my very, very dear friend, Abby Holler. Can you come on up? And Abby has had an awful year. She's going to tell you about it. But I see the Holy Spirit moving powerfully through her. She's going to share a little bit about that. I'm not good at microphones, so I guess everyone can hear me. <laughs> um, I'm Abby, married to Julian, and I have three little kids over there. Um, so in the middle of May, I had a panic attack. I'd never had one before, and I'm already starting to cry about it. 
Um, it felt completely out of nowhere, and I was immediately overcome with doom, fear, worry, and anxiety. And over the next several weeks, it grew into extreme anxiety with panic. Um, I would have one to two major panic attacks a day and intermittent bouts of major depression. And it felt like my incredible, beautiful life was being stolen right from out under my feet. And I had no idea how to get it back. I couldn't feel the joy in life and the intimate connections with other people that I was used to because my brain was constantly in fight or flight mode and focused on surviving. Um, being very unaware that this was anxiety or how to manage it, the monster just kept growing and I continued to let it rule by slowly avoiding one thing after another until I was basically avoiding my whole life out of the fear of what might trigger me and I felt completely out of control of my own body. I used to think that people who experienced anxiety were perhaps a bit more nervous than the rest of us. I had no idea how crippling it could be. For a little while, I refused to believe that that's what it even was because I was so convinced that I had a physical medical issue of some kind. It affected my whole body. My hands and feet were clammy for six weeks straight. I couldn't see normally. Lights were brighter and more distracting. Sounds were louder. Um, I couldn't even be in the same room as my kids when they were melting down because it was so triggering it would send me into a panic spiral. I couldn't be still long enough to even read my kids' bedtime stories because I spent most of the day going for walks and pacing around my house. The moment I stopped moving, my body would tell me that I was in danger. I stopped driving entirely and I knew I needed to eat, but I couldn't fathom it, so I would chug down a few protein shakes to make sure I was getting calories in me. I stopped being able to sleep, and my doctor had to put me on enough sleeping medication to put a tiger to sleep. <laughs> this was not me, and I knew it. I knew that only a few weeks prior, I was full of energy, extroverted, and had an immense love from my friends and family. But now I had developed extreme social anxiety to the point of panicking at seeing even my own best friends. I didn't know who I was, and I felt like I was living in a solitary and lonely bubble. It was hell on earth. I lived like that for about two months until I saw any improvement. During this time, I was trying everything, therapy, meeting with people, prayer, medication, and all the while I was constantly praying that God would save me from this darkness. One day I was begging for healing and I felt him say to me, I've already won this battle. Go walk in my freedom. And I thought, okay, well heal me first and then I will. And again, I felt it. You are healed. The battle has already been won. Go walk in my freedom. It really took me a few weeks before I could even begin to understand what I was being led to do. God was asking me to lay down the anxiety and the worry at his feet, lay down exactly the things that I had been believing was keeping me safe. My what if thinking, my catastrophic worries, my negative self-talk. I was believing that if I worried enough, I would be prepared for anything and nothing could hurt me. I never knew I didn't have to entertain these temptations from the enemy. 
In fact, I never knew these were mental temptations at all. I thought they were my own thoughts. Rejecting these thoughts didn't seem to mean that the feelings were going to magically go away. But what it meant was me saying to God, I'm feeling so scared right now. My body is shaking, and it's telling me I'm in danger. I want to give you this. I reject the fear that the enemy is trying to tempt me with. You tell me that I am whole, and I am worthy, and I am healed. Give me the strength to live in that freedom. I recited 2 Timothy 1.7 to myself over and over. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Believing whatever came, he would help me through it. Believing that he truly is everything good. And when I partner with him, I'm partnering with love, joy, and peace, whether I feel it right away or not. This is how I was beginning to work and walk in faith. As I was starting to drive again, I would literally get in the driver's seat, read Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. And then I would quote the great philosopher Carrie Underwood to myself and say, okay, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, I was not at all confident in my skills. <laughs> I was beginning to realize that all my life I thought I was the one in control, but actually never was. I had been brought to a place in my life when I had no, idea, I had no choice but to relinquish it all. It was the only way of moving forward. On one particularly good afternoon, I was helping my oldest daughter make a bracelet, and all of a sudden, a thought crept in. You deserve so, your kids deserve so much better than what you can give them right now. I immediately felt horrible about myself, and this was the first time I detected the enemy's words right away. I know that feeling. I thought, this is a temptation to fall into worry and self-deprecation. My next thought was, no, what they need is their mother. I am exactly what they need right now. I am a daughter of the king, and I refuse to acknowledge the temptation that I'm not enough. And I kept making the bracelet. It was his power over the lies. Over the next several weeks, things got easier and I began to be able to detect these mental temptations quicker. Our mind is where the enemy likes to play and we have the opportunity to depend on the Holy Spirit. We have been given the mind of Christ, scripture says, through salvation. The power comes when we can say, God, I'm insecure, but I choose your truth about who I am. I choose that I am worthy and loved and capable through you. He says back, I know you're scared. Leave it here with me and live in the freedom I've given you. I've learned to put on the helmet of salvation every day, laying down what I was being deceived to think was keeping me safe and choose the freedom of God even when it feels terrifying. The result has been more rewarding than I could have imagined, and the more I opt into God's freedom, the more I see the power and the easier it's becoming. I'm still a work in progress, but up until this point, I never felt super connected to the Holy Spirit. It was kind of a weird ghostly notion that I didn't fully understand. But now I feel that the Holy Spirit is the greatest, most powerful, and freeing gift that I've ever received.
so proud of you. I think the reason that Abby's story hits uh, hits me so hard and is so beautiful and powerful is because it's it's a real picture of the everyday surrender, of what it looks like to see the Holy Spirit doing a transforming work in us and then her to stand up and share of the mighty deeds of God and to testify with the body. And it's encouraging for us, isn't it, church? So I'm gonna pray over you and over Abby and James is gonna get up and lead us in a moment of communion as we close our time together. Father, thank you for Abby. I thank you for the work that you're doing in her. I thank you for the ways she is seeing your power and experiencing your power to be real in her life as she denies the lies of the enemy and stands on the power of your truth. Lord, we pray a blessing and a covering of peace and protection over this woman and her marriage and her children as a church body, we come alongside her and we support her and we encourage her and we find strength in her story and in her testimony, Lord. You are glorified this morning by her. And I know you're just delighted as you look at her and hear her boldness in sharing and proclaiming your truth, Lord. You know her freedom. Lord, I pray that for our entire church this morning, that if we want to experience the spiritual renewal that we're longing for, the transformation that we desire, that we would acknowledge the Holy Spirit power that we already have in us, and that we would allow ourselves to be transformed in order that we might be used for your work and your glory. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> wow. Well, what a powerful morning. And Abby, thank you so much for sharing. Abby and Julian and their family are such a, a long-time dear part of this family. And... Um, just a remarkable story and I, I know that there are people out there this morning that you're struggling you're in a battle and maybe you're denying it you're trying to find 50 reasons why it's not a battle but the reality is if any of this stuff that we're talking about is true if the scriptures let's say they're 50% true I think they're 100% true but let's say they're 50% true they're telling us we are not in neutral there is a battle. There's reality to that. And yet, our God has given us like everything that we need for freedom. It's right there. It's on his, his timetable. He's not given us the, the clear 3D plan of your life and my life and how it all is going to look. There's mystery involved in this. But as we lean in, you're not just gonna hear about it, you're gonna experience it, you're gonna see it. And I just wanna open that this morning as we move to communion, there's these little little pods of, they look like hourglass, there's a little grape juice in the bottom, and then there's a little wafer. And 
They're tiny little facsimiles of a large, wonderful truth that we believe, which is God himself dove into the black hole of violence, of warfare, of death, of terror, of all that stuff, of sin in Jesus Christ and took it, definitively took all of that upon himself so that we can be free, as Brooke said, and we can have his spirit and be free. And so that, that little wafer, it represents his body that was broken for us. The, the little grape juice is his blood that was poured out for us. But this morning, a lot of the way we do it, uh, Ron's gonna play some music. Uh, you can come as you like and grab some communion. Folks sometimes hang out here, sometimes they kind of hang out in the front. But if you want some prayer, just grab someone. I'm telling you, like you could throw a rock and just don't do that. You could, you could reach out and t touch 10 amazing spiritual giants that actually believe this stuff. Get some prayer this morning. If you need some breakthrough, some freedom, get some prayer this morning. Don't let it go. Don't, don't rationalize out of it. Be vulnerable a little bit if you need it. And if you're good and you're just there, maybe pray for someone or just have a good conversation. But we're going to transition to communion. Brooke, thank you so much for bringing the word. I can't wait to hear it again at the next service. And um, thank you all for coming. So again, there it is. All are welcome. And we're so thankful for you being here. We end with this. So there's no like final hurrah. This is it communion. Uh, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for truth. Thank you that we are not hopelessly stuck in the darkness and the terror and the temptation and all the, the, the things that pull us away and make us sort of mutants of who we really are in you. And we just thank you that the freedom is there in your blood and your spirit. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you all. It's a powerful morning. Thanks again. Uh, have an amazing, amazing rest of your day.